Welcome to the Curiosity Solution. I'm your host, Beverly Beal. Join us as we explore the science of curiosity, share stories of people who've used curiosity to improve their lives, and maybe inspire some aha moments along the way. Welcome to the inaugural podcast of the Curiosity Solution. I'm uh, your host and today only guest, Beverly Beal. My goal with this podcast, honestly, is to explore the intersection of curiosity, awe, synchronicity, and well, and just plain luck. Because what many people have heard throughout their lifetime is that curiosity kills the cats. That's what, you know, as a child, that was one of the admonitions of don't do this because that's bad things are going to happen. I find it interesting that as I have been studying in the ancient art of feng shui, one of the things that has come up in that is there's something that is called the mishaps is one of the parts of the Chinese astrology study. I'll just keep using that same word. When my teacher, Joey Yap, translated it to a regular speech, it became the adventure palace. Because again, in traditional Chinese culture, if you swayed or varied your path at all, you could invite catastrophe. And that mindset continued on throughout the ages. So when he explained it, that no, this is about adventure and how you don't know what's around the corner. You have no idea if there's some positive thing around the corner this way, or if there's a catastrophe. Yes, it's true. As we indulge our curiosities, uh, we can, in fact, find ourselves in situations that many of us would deem negative. <clears throat> My experience has been that we are always learning. There's always a pony no matter how big that pile of poop is. <laughs> the, the, the thing that I am so excited about exploring in this podcast, <clears throat> as I interview various guests, finding out how they have used curiosity to really explore the inner depths of themselves, the expansion of their mindset, the exploration of career paths, of finding partners that work with them, whether it's a business partnership or a love relationship, and then what to do when that curiosity has run its course. Because sometimes the biggest opportunity for all of us is knowing when enough is enough. When have I had my adventure and it's time to come back to the tried and true? I think many of us have experienced that when we've been on a long vacation. And for example, many years ago in pre-COVID days, I had the opportunity to go with my husband to Australia 
for three weeks. And while I did get really good at driving on the other side of the road to the point where, eh, yeah, I got a little too fast and pulled over and the nice police officer realized <laughs> the speeding ticket was be more trouble than it's worth. And he scared me enough that I was a perfect adherent to all of the laws <laughs> at that point. But there was that point when I realized this is not my home. This has been a marvelous adventure. Let's come back. Let's come back, take these learnings, explore more now, closer to the tried and true. Now, in this podcast, there are going to be four main questions that I'm going to be asking my guests. And those questions I'm going to go ahead and answer for you here. Now, number one, where do you hold curiosity in your body? For me, there's a couple of spots. There's, of course, the upper chest, not quite the throat, because a lot of times when curiosity really gets a hold of me, the first place that I feel it is, the first place I feel it, honestly, is in my head, because I do tend to be a little bit more analytical. I know a lot of people think, wait a minute, you're into all this energy woo stuff. How can you be skeptical and analytical? It's easy. That's actually how I got into all of this because the answers that were being given to me and various things didn't make sense. And so I need to figure out why this is such, why does this have such hold on other people? Why, what is it that it, what is it they're trying to keep from me? Because there's always that part of the personality. But the other part was, this is an area that I know nothing about. So let's dive in. Let's see where that intersection is between common sense and the divine. I grew up, um, let's back up a little bit. So I grew up uh, as the youngest of eight children in a Catholic family, a very loving Catholic family on a farm in Kansas. Um, I learned how to ride a bicycle when I was 12, promptly broke my arm. Um, so that was exciting. Um, but I learned how to ride horses from, I don't even know how old I was exactly. I think I was, I think I was about five when I figured out how to actually bridle the horse, a little Shetland pony, and was able to get her over to a ladder or a fence. I can't even remember. And I got up there by myself. So I was like, oh, I'm so proud of myself. It was me indulging my curiosity. How do I gain that kind of freedom where, and that power of, I have harnessed four-legged energy. So that's the first step. The, but I never had any kind of energy around me, except my dad. Again, when I was five, he took me for a ride in the pickup where he is a water witcher. When you're a farmer, you have to have a good water well, a functioning water well, so that you can irrigate your crops. And my dad had that skill to take those copper L rods that many of you see, the dousing rods, and he could tell these people where the water was, follow it to a, a, follow the vein to where it would be most accessible for drilling. And somehow he could even tell them how far down to dig. 
If that's not skill, I don't know what is. He gave me those rods. And I tell you, when I felt that zing go in my body when I'm holding these things, it's whoa. I didn't exactly treat the rods with respect. And so I never got to use them again until I bought my own pair probably about 10 years ago. But I bring this up because I grew up with the logic being the most highly valued, not necessarily. Yes, of course, my parents were very religious. So there is a lot of that faith aspect, but I always laugh that for real, I gave up being Catholic for Lent when I went to college because it just no longer fit my inside. My, my mindset did not jive, did not gel with the restrictions that are necessarily a part of many of these kind of groups. But anyway, so coming back to that, I just wanted to give you that little preface of, yes, I came into this rather by accident. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 36. I had two little kids, went through the whole chemo, surgery, radiation, et cetera. And at the end of it all, one of my neighbors gave me a book on feng shui and I started following along to try to get the kids to stop arguing and maybe help my husband get a raise. And next thing I know, my kids did stop arguing for two weeks. My husband got three job opportunities within a month of me doing all these things. And I kept finding more and more resources to help me recover from all of those cancer treatments. So I'm like, this is pretty cool. I think I need to study this. One thing led to another. I go to Utah, start learning all this stuff, became a Western school feng shui practitioner for over 14 years. So I started in 2004 and in 2017, I switched from being a Western version black hat practitioner to a classical compass school practitioner because I really saw the difference in my world as well as for my clients when I did that. And through that process, I also picked up uh, the fact that I would go into homes to do the feng shui work and I'd come out completely exhausted and would not be able to get up off the couch for three days because I absorbed so much energy. That led to studying how to disconnect myself from everybody else's energy, what energy hygiene was, what being an energy empath and an intuitive was. And anyway, so that's how my curiosity to heal from the cure really informed me and where I am today. It's why I keep doing all of this nearly, it'll be 20 years uh, next year. That's a long time to be working in this kind of realm. So when it comes to curiosity, for me, it, it started in the head. Just, I wonder what if, I wonder what this is going to do. When it came time to decide how to work with energy outside of the feng shui, the external world of things. And I started really identifying patterns in how I was holding on to my emotions. That's when the curiosity shifted from the head 
and this upper chest area to my guts. Okay, not to put too fine a point on it, but I'd had a lot of digestive issues. And I just thought, I guess I can never have cheese again. I can never have gluten or blah, 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 whatever. Sometimes I didn't even have a clue what was causing things. It wasn't until I did an extensive amount of energy work around various patterns of holding on (laughs) to these long, these beliefs that had been passed down from generation to generation that almost despite myself, my digestive issues improved. Now, there are many other things that had to help along the way, but I had been holding all of that extra energetic stuff from my feng shui consultations, from the kids bringing their stuff home from school, from my husband bringing stuff home from work, from the family members that would call me, very for various issues or the friends that oh I, you're the best person to talk to i always feel so much better after i've gotten off the phone with you which is wonderful but sometimes we all know that there are those friends that are just a little draining but after i realized oh i can take this energy in but this is how i get rid of it i have a video on how to do this on my youtube channel So you can take a look on that. But for me, learning how to harness all of these different skills and techniques and knowings and give words to them, that's the beauty of the when I went down that that particular curiosity path. In fact, this whole podcast is proof that curiosity can take you some of the most interesting places and meet the most interesting people. Now, the next question that I will be asking of my guests is, how was curiosity treated when you were little? Now, I've mentioned that when my dad handed me those copper L rods, that originally it was punished, shamed a little bit because I wasn't knowing what was going on in my body. And rather than my father asking what's going on with that. He just snatched them away from me and I never got them again. Now, even so for me, a lot of times the curiosity I'd have would come in the form of questions. Come on. Most children want to know what's this? What can, you know, why is that? Why is the sky blue? What kind of clouds are those? Why do we have to do things this certain way? And Sometimes the adults in your life actually have answers, but often they get exhausted and they're just tired. And remember, I was the youngest of eight children. I have twin brothers, five and a half years older than me or four and a half years older than me. My, and, and my a sister who was 18 months older than them. My mama was exhausted. She did the best she could. She would answer questions for me as often as she possibly could. But a lot of times... It was pushed off. We're just going to have to talk about it later. It's like, I don't have time to talk about that now. I'm, you know, I need to go do this. I need to go do that. So many times I was just left with those answers, those questions just going and rolling around in my head. 
So curiosity for me was very much, as a child, it was very much inconvenient. And that led to me feeling as if I was a burden and that the only way that I would ever have value is if I found the answers myself. I could never rely, that was my belief, that I could never trust anybody to have time for me to share their knowledge. So I became a bookworm. I, I was a very good student. I loved to read. I would absorb as much information as I could. And then I turned eight. And then it was, okay, we've got a farm. Your legs are long enough now to work the controls on the tractor. So here you go. You're driving now. I was put to work. And my, when I would read to satisfy that curiosity, that, that insatiable desire for knowledge, that's when the shaming would begin. If you've got time to read, you've got time to go do these other chores. Again, many decades later, I finally am back to reading more, but sometimes it has to come in the form of listening to podcasts or listen or, or, or doing audio books because there still is that, that, Oh, agony of feeling like I was made wrong because I just wanted to learn more. So that's how curiosity was treated. Uh, that's how I viewed curiosity uh, as a child growing up. Um, now, again, when I got into college, oh gosh, that was just glorious because I took as many classes in as many different subjects as I possibly could. Um, and I still managed to only la extend my college experience by one summer or one semester. I guess this was semester in a summer session, but it was largely because I just, I was making up for lost time and I was also paying for it myself. So I really had to be judicious in what I would take, but it was marvelous. I think one of the most interesting classes that I've done absolutely nothing with was an abnormal psychology class where we would study how the brain would respond to different stimuli and what would have, you know, what was going on with that. And so to me, that was, there was no practical application whatsoever in my world, but it was all about satisfying my curiosity or art history. Those are the kind of things that I just, I love learning how other people view the world. Okay. So the third question is, is there a current challenge that you are dealing with that you would like to discuss during the interview? As my role as a transformational coach, as well as someone who looks at things from an energetic standpoint, I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not even a social worker. But what I am is someone who can see the information that is lurking around a person. And for me, sometimes this takes the form of pictures in my head. Sometimes I have to guide the clients through like a visualization process, but often it tends to, it ends up being more of a somatic experience. Where are you holding this tension in your physical body? Can you visualize this? with a shape and a color. What happens when you imagine shining sunlight on something? Uh, sunlight is my 
shorthand for unconditional love and healing. Moonlight is my shorthand for compassion and nurturing. Starlight is my shorthand for healing things either on a karmic level or on a genetic inheritance level. When and we talk about that, or, or curiosity again, had me diving down into that. There's this study of epigenetics. And I know there's a there's kind of two different ways of looking at this. But the first way, of course, is what my scientific daughter uh, brain says is it is simply proteins or something else that's sitting on top of the gene, which changes the expression of that gene. The way that I have experienced it and the way that I explain it is every lived experience, every large, like big, powerful, emotional experience produces a flood of different chemicals. Now, this can be a really positive, joyful experience, or it can be trauma or some kind of fright that you might have. And if it's a strong enough experience and your system is flooded with enough of these stress hormones, it can actually shift and deposit the echoes of that memory of this action, of this situation into your cells. That can then be relayed or shared, if you will, with the people that come after you. The, there are studies of, or I think the original started doing some uh, studies with mice that the mice would be exposed to like a shock plate at the same time that they would pump the smell of, I think, peppermint in to, into the, the cage. And so these mice began to associate the smell of peppermint with pain. That's a horrific study. I don't condone it. And the information that was gleaned with this was that they did, they gave it, did away with the shock plate. They did away with the peppermint. They raised four more generations of these mice. And then in the fourth generation, they had repeated the experiment where they would put peppermint smell back into the cage. And about 50% of the mice would freak out as if they were expecting pain. So what that shows is that A, it's bad to torture animals like this, but more importantly, that there are certain people who can access the memory of this traumatic experience that is completely unrelated to anything else that's going on in their life. And so when you'll see uh, stories about family patterns or that everybody has a certain dislike of I something. And so sometimes that can be part of that inherited memory. There's also a lot of inherited strengths. We all know people who are absolutely amazing in a crisis. Or they are, they, they just, they have this overwhelming desire to, to nurture and feed or care for or protect large amounts of people. And it could be, that's part of that inherited strength. So this is not always bad. 
but it's just something to be aware of. The only time that I really look at those kind of situations is when they're getting in the way of our day-to-day life. So for example, one of the things that for me personally, that has come up lately, and and again, this is going back to what I was talking about before, how I had a lot of stress in, in, or just about food and wondering what can I eat? What can I not eat? Part of that stemmed from before I got my cancer diet, the cancer diagnosis, I had a lot of, I had a month where my digestion just went haywire. And there were several other things that were happening as well, but I became very afraid of eating anything. My And so it took a while to, to realize that food was actually my friend, that I was not going to poison myself if I had something that wasn't organic or that had sugar in it. And not that I'm going overboard by just munching all the sugar, although every now and then, come on. But more importantly, I, again, got curious about what is this allergy elimination protocol that I hear about with various acupuncturists. And so I explored that and it fixed my lactose intolerance. For me, there still is that mental questioning of, ooh, if I have this piece of cheese, am I really going to pay? And then I remind myself that, no, I actually am okay. I've worked through that. It took a while, but I'm now at peace with whatever this terrifying memory was that was associated with cheese. Now, there's always all kinds of things that that show up another big another big piece for me is honestly i was terrified to become more out loud and proud with this intuitive ability it was not exactly supported i'll just put it this way it wasn't that i was told that i was going to hell or anything but i was not exactly viewed positively in my family of origin. Come on. Again, this is a different world. More and more people are realizing that, oh yeah, this anxiety that I feel, that's actually an old pattern that is designed to help me stay safe. That's a, that the old, this intuitive empathic ability that I have, honestly, it evolved because I was never sure what kind of mood the siblings that I had around me were going to come home with from school or work or whatever. My father had been in World War II. He had a lot of unresolved trauma from that. So I never quite knew what his mood was going to be when he came in from the field or from a meeting or how much pain he was in from the getting 100% disability from having a broken back for crying out loud. Having had back pain before, I know how that can mess with a person's mood, but there are a lot more layers to that. So in many ways, this empathy that I have, being as empathic, as intuitive as I am, was a mechanism to just to guard, to know how do I handle the landmine of, of this terrain? Now, I'm not saying that every person who is an empath, every intuitive has had this. I'm not saying that, 
What I am saying is that in many ways that became a salvation to know this person is safe. This person, I need to be a little leery of, and that person, I need to get as far away from them as possible. We all have various behaviors that evolved as largely as a way to keep us safe and to keep us alive. Now, as women, we also have that extra level of, oh, wait a minute, we have that inherited memory of being property, of only being able to succeed if we were the support people. If we got too mouthy, bad things can happen. And so being, being a little too out there, being a little too avant-garde, it got some of us burned at the stake. It got some of us thrown out of the collective. And there, that's part of what I'm seeing actually in society right now, where there's so much, there's a lot of very angry people, not just saying women, saying men too. There's a lot of this type of paradigm being questioned and a lot of unaddressed emotions are coming up and being dumped on other people. So that's another reason why when you can identify, is this emotion mine or am I feeling somebody else's fear, anxiety, rage, hunger? That's actually a big one. When you think about and you're like, oh, I'm, I just got the nibbles. Is that, am I really feeling hungry? Is that some, or is that something that is not being addressed? Is there some other need that I need to look at? The last particular question that I plan on asking every guest on this podcast is a phoenix rises from the ashes to fly again. And would you like to describe your own phoenix moment and what role curiosity played in that? Again, I'm going to come back to the experience that I had with being a 36-year-old breast cancer patient. The, there was the lowest moment of that experience was, <clears throat> I think I was maybe three or four treatments into the chemo. I did the chemo first to shrink the tumors and then had the surgery after that. But I remember I was really ill. I just was so exhausted already. It was, I think when I would get the, the chemo, it would usually be about day three when I would feel the fullest effects of the treatment. And so the, I would just, I saw myself completely bald, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, gray, that, that grayish green that if any of these viewers out here or listeners, if you've seen people who are going through chemo, they have that grayish green tone to their skin. And I had barely enough energy just to even brush my teeth. And I remember look, looking at myself in the mirror going, oh, why bother? Why bother brushing my teeth or even flossing? I'm going to be dead soon anyway. 
And this voice came from outside of me, but inside, but out, outside and inside at the same time. <laughs> and even now, when I think about it, I get a little choked up because I, that voice said, you're going to need those teeth for a long time. So you better take care of them now. And it was that, what, who, it, it shocked me. It shocked me into action. And I think I may have, let's say this, this has been almost 20 years ago, 20, well, almost 22 years ago. It shocked me so much that I immediately flossed my teeth and by brushed. And uh, I think I may have missed flossing my teeth once or twice, maybe twice in almost 22 years, because I'm going to need these teeth for a long time. I had that cancer experience. I punched that ticket. That was my ashes moment. And I have feel as if I have been rising ever since. And I've been exploring different ways to, to ride these currents and to see what else is out there. Having that kind or any kind of a health crisis, whether it is having to have surgery or my, my husband has had to have a couple of back surgeries, including a fusion, any kind of situation. <clears throat> that forces you into either isolation or being more sedentary, it makes you go inside. It forces you to examine what is it that, at least for me, I can't speak to my husband's experience or to anybody else's, but for me, it really forced me to take a look at where have I been letting myself down? Where have I been living my life for others and not for me? Am I living the life that I'm supposed to be here to do? Or have I simply been absorbing my, letting other people's energy absorb me, suck me dry, be that puppet person to just do whatever is needed to keep the peace. I've also started studying a little bit. Again, curiosity has gotten me into the Enneagram. And as a nine, it's, it is in the past was very difficult for me to really know where did I stop and others start? Again, my programming had been as a child, as even before I was born, I knew that my mom was stressed. It was so hard raising so many children during it, just being a, on a farm anyway. It's a lot of work. It is long form gambling because you're gambling on the weather, you're gambling on which seeds you planted. Have you actually planted the right crops? What's the, what is the price going to be when it comes time to sell? 
Do you have, what if you have a bumper crop? Okay, yay, but then everybody else probably has too. So, okay, now there's a glut. It is long form gambling, and yet it's very rewarding for those who enjoy that type of lifestyle because you're always in communion with nature. You're constantly hand in hand with, with the beauty of that God has provided for us or the universe or whatever is the outside force that has gotten us here on this planet with those beautiful trees and those animals and the flowers and the nature and all the things, except for the mosquitoes. Don't really like those. But even though I know they have their part of the circle of life still, they love me. Not the love is not returned. Anyway, I lost the train of thought on that particular little rant. But for me, it's it comes back to the Enneagram. The Enneagram. That's where I was. As a nine, I didn't know that I was allowed to have boundaries. I it wasn't really until I had that enforced downtime where I was too weak to get out of the bed. And I suddenly found myself wondering about my children in school. And next thing I know, my consciousness is floating over them. That was astral traveling. I didn't know that was a thing. When I had enough energy, I looked it up. I had, okay, so that was a weird experience. All these things, they all stacked up. But again, coming back to the nine, it as someone who already is very porous energetically, where I can feel what's happening around the world. And it was very exhausting in, in many ways. I honestly do think that it contributed to having this disease process take root. As I've learned more and how to still be in harmony and harmonious situation with people, but also being aware that it's also okay for me to say no, or you're wrong, or that's not going to work for me. That's given this nine energy I have more form and hence the podcast, because I truly do believe that being curious and looking for answers both within yourself as well as in your natural surroundings, that's how we move forward in our own evolution, whether it's a physical, physical, financial, emotional, mental, energetic, it's all about forward progress. The last thing I'm going to leave you with here is the mountain of evidence that shows this, that our body is constantly trying to communicate with us besides just illness is that when I come across, okay, I'm not even sure where the mountain of evidence thing came in, but when I come across a new topic, I check in with my body. These days, if I don't have at least agreement with my head center and this 
center body. Sometimes it's in my heart. Sometimes it's in the third, the, either the, the heart chakra or the third chakra, the, the solar plexus. If there's not a tingle in both areas, I don't go down that path. Maybe for just, I'll click on a, a, a little click here or there. But if I have that kind of head and heart, the body and the spirit, both saying, yes, let's do this. Then I know that it's not mine to pursue. In During the COVID times, Susie Batiz, who is the CEO of Puri, used to be Poopuri, but Puri Inc., she had this amazing series of personal development workshops called Alive OS. OS is operating system. So you're a live operating system. And her whole mantra was talking about, does it make you feel alive? Is the idea alive? Does it light you up? Is it a full body? Yes. And if it's not, then absolutely no. For me, I modify that a little bit because a lot of things, they're a little like sparklers. A lot of things will, I guess that's the ADHD piece in me. There's a lot of little shiny object syndromes. And so I will go and explore some of those little bursts. Those usually are only lighting up one of my energy centers. When I became interested in doing this podcast, um, doing you know, and sharing how I view the world. That didn't just light up the head center or the heart center. That was a full body yes. That was a, I get to finally have an avenue to share that spark, that genius that I see in other people all the time. And many times they just need an opportunity to share their spark. And maybe something that's happening inside of their world can be expanded with the tools that I have. Because again, I know what I offer isn't the everyday kind of coaching. That's okay. It doesn't have to be. But for those people who are inspired to trust, man, we can make some pretty magical things happen. All right. I appreciate you listening this long. I hope you have your own joyful moments. I hope that your curiosity inspires you to try something new. Maybe it is just taking a different way into work or buying that kind that the brand of ketchup that, oh, I've never tried that before. One of the things I love doing is doing like fruit tastings. I'll get four or five apples and we'll just have an apple tasting contest because just because that's how you keep your energy high, your Phoenix flying and the wonder of curiosity alive every day. And that's it for the Curiosity Solution. This is Beverly Beale.